North Carolina's Portland woes cost them 17 spots in the newest AP poll. But quite frankly, that's exactly what the Tar Heels needed. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Tuesday, November 29th, 2022. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, the only daily North Carolina show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade, and I want to thank you for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listener watch every single day. Please don't forget, we're free and available wherever you get podcasts, so you can subscribe right now to make sure you don't miss a second of your team every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Omaha Steaks, which is a gift from the heart. A gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable bite. Order with complete confidence today, knowing you're ordering the very best. Visit omahasteaks.com and use promo code LOCKEDON at checkout to get that extra $30 off your order. Well, today we're going to have a great uh, crossover moment later in the show with Locked On Hoosiers host Jacob Rude getting ready for the Carolina men's game on Wednesday and then the Carolina women's game on Thursday. But first, I want to just start by once again kind of taking stock of where things are at following the Thanksgiving weekend up in the Pacific Northwest. And, And the way to do that is by couching it in the newest AP polls. Carolina has dropped all the way to 18th. And that's exactly right. That's where the Tar Heels need to be. I've seen people say, that's disrespectful. I can't believe we fell that far. Honestly, I can't believe we didn't fall farther, the Tar Heels. I I said 15 to 20 after losing to Alabama. That's just about the right range of where Tar Heels need to fall to. Quite frankly, look at the rankings. It's this whole grouping of a bunch of blue bloods altogether. Like 17 to 21 includes Carolina, Kentucky, Duke, Michigan State, and UCLA, I think are the five teams in that bunching. So uh, there's a whole cluster of blue bloods right there. But honestly, this is great. Carolina, let's be honest, was not ready to handle the smoke of being number one. They would tell you that. I'm saying it as well. And it wasn't just in Portland, right? I mean, let's not forget what what the games to start the season, the four games at home in the Dean Dome looked like before these three games in Portland. It wasn't all sunsets and roses, right? and, And everyone is aware of that reality. And so here's the bottom line for me. Now you are out of the spotlight. People think you're overrated. And perhaps a joke. I've heard a lot of people still saying, no, listen, this Tar Heels team is still the best in the ACC. They just got to get it together. And I think that is the rational and reasonable approach to this. Although right now, Virginia is playing like the best team in the conference. But right now, you're out of the spotlight and it's time to go to work and get better. Unfortunately, going to work and getting better this week means going to Indiana tomorrow night for the ACC Big Ten Challenge, the last one ever, as we'll talk about in just a little bit. And then on Sunday, going to Virginia Tech, playing at Blacksburg for the first game of the ACC schedule. So uh, there is a little bit of a spotlight still on you right now, but this, for me, is gut check time for the Tar Heels right now. Who do the 22-23 Tar Heels want to be? We thought we would see that from the from the very jump of the season, but we're just not. 
part of that for me of this gut check, don't play Armando Baycott on Wednesday night. If he is remotely not like if he's 90% or less on his right ankle, do not play him. It is not worth ACC Big Ten glory to sacrifice the potential of NCAA tournament glory later on this season. If Armando's not ready to go, sit him. Keep him down. You need to be ready for the real possibility of Armando or no Armando. The Tar Heels could be on the cusp of a three-game losing streak. Like, go ahead and prepare yourself for that reality. You remember what happened last time Carolina went to play at Assembly Hall in the ACC Big Ten Challenge? It did not go well. But that was a season where the Tar Heels ultimately made the national championship game. So just like last season, patience, patience. But here's the thing. If you do sit Armando Baycott, if he's not healthy, at least I'm going to say again 90%, not only is it an opportunity to let him sit and get better, it's an opportunity to to build that depth that we've heard so much about that I've talked a lot about that I've said, why why are we going to talk about having depth and then not use it? Right. I I don't care if you're not going to use it, but if you're going to talk about it, do it right. That, That just seems to make logical sense. But if Armando's down for the count, I would imagine you see Puff Johnson come into the starting lineup. uh, Pete Nance shifts to the five, and then you go with the rest of the normal starters um, at at one, two, and three with RJ, Caleb, and Leakey. Assuming that Leakey's ankle is good to go, which it sounds from everything um, that I'm hearing that it is. Um, But this is gut check time. Now, here's part of gut check time. You ready for this? This needs to be RJ Davis's team to run. We've said it on this show all off season. Coach Pat Kilby has said it. I've said it. Others that have come on have said it. That RJ Davis is the most consistent player running this team, and he needs to be allowed to do so. But frankly, for me right now, Caleb seems to be either unwilling to let that happen or incapable of letting it happen because of some sort of need to have to be the guy. Remember, just two games ago against Portland, Caleb showed what he can do when he is making good decisions, when he's involving teammates, but it seems like there's something either in the big moments or when turmoil happens that, that something clicks and Caleb just has to take shot after shot, after shot, after shot, either that or the worst scenario is the coaches aren't holding him accountable to that. You know what I mean? Like to me, that's worse. And, and I would assume the coaching staff is in his ear about what he needs to do. And, and we know that Coach Davis has been um, telling him about being a playmaker and getting others involved. If, if it comes to it, sit him down. Let Caleb sit for a while. That, if, that, if that's how this comes to be, so be it. But here's, here's the thing. Coach Davis has entrusted the keys to the kingdom with this offense to Caleb and RJ. Right? They have so much responsibility. And to me right now, the way Caleb has been hogging shots the past couple games, he is abusing that responsibility he's been entrusted with. Maybe that sounds like uh, too harsh a word, but I, don't, I, I frankly don't think it is. Um, in order for this team to reach its ceiling, it has to be the team that assisted on 85% of its made baskets against Marquette. The team that assisted on 79% of its made baskets against Baylor in the first and second rounds of the NCAA tournament last year. To wit, look at the shooting numbers that you have to start this season. RJ and Caleb 
are combining to shoot 41% total from the field. That that for guards, that's good, not great, but is good. But from three point, 26%. But the issue is there is they're taking 51% of Carolina's shots. Um, our, our good guy, our good buddy Brian Ives posted all these numbers on Twitter on Monday. The rest of the team, comparatively, Davis and Love shooting 41%. The rest of the team shooting 53% from the field. RJ and Caleb currently shooting 26% from three. The rest of the team shooting 38% from three. The problem is for Caleb and RJ, they're taking 51% of the shots while the rest of the team collectively is only taking 49%. That's right. Two guys are taking over half of this team's shots in the first seven games of the season. Something has to change there. One of the options would be the preseason ACC player of the year, Armando Baycott. In the two losses, Caleb and RJ shot 34, 88, 34%. Meanwhile, Armando shot 12 for 18 from the field. I know he's closer to the basket, but still 66%, almost double the field goal percentage of the collective of RJ and Caleb. And I'm not saying you, you don't have Caleb and RJ shooting at all, but you got to get the ACC preseason player of the year more shots. Against Iowa State, he was five for six. You love that percentage, but it was only six field goal attempts for Armando. Got to find him. That, and that's on Armando, too. It's not just on the guards, but got to get him the ball more. North Carolina, it's time to go to work. It's gut check time. Let's see it in action. Well, it is time to get ready for the final ACC Big Ten Challenge ever, ever, ever. And we're going to do that in just a moment. But before we do, this episode is brought to you by Omaha Steaks. The holidays are here and you can achieve gifting greatness when you give the gift of perfectly aged, tender, and delicious Omaha Steaks. The steak experts at Omaha Steaks have put together something special, this curated gift package to help take the guesswork out of gifting and make you a holiday hero. Go to omahasteaks.com and use code LOCKEDON at checkout to get $30 off your order. Send an assortment of mouthwatering favorites guaranteed to impress, like the legendary Butcher's Cut Filet Mignon, air-chilled boneless chicken, ultra-juicy burgers, and even easy-to-prepare comfort meals that are ready in a flash. Omaha Steaks is ready to ship your order right away, so shop early and beat the shipping rush. Omaha Steaks is a gift from the heart, a gift that will be remembered with every unforgettable bite. So order with complete confidence today, knowing you're ordering the very best. Visit omahasteaks.com and use promo code LOCKEDON at checkout to get that extra $30 off your order. Minimum order may be required. Boy, it is time for the last ever ACC Big Ten, Big Ten ACC Challenge. Hard to believe that's going to come to an end of an era. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But right now, we got a little crossover action. Some Indiana Hoosiers, some North Carolina Tar Heels. My man, Jacob Prude. I'm Isaac Shade. He's the host of Locked on Hoosiers. I'm the host of Locked on Tar Heels. And we want to get you prepared for all both of these Big Ten ACC matchups. The men and women Hoosiers and Tar Heels are playing Wednesday night. Or excuse me, the men are playing Wednesday night. Both women teams are playing on Thursday night. A fun way to end the ACC Big Ten. 24 years of it when it's all said and done. Jacob Brood, let's get into this men's game. Let's start there. Uh, Hoosiers are off to an undefeated start. But as we were kind of talking about a little bit before we started, 
it's kind of hard to know what to make of the Hoosiers right now. Had a, a game against Xavier highly ranked, but outside of that, every other game has been against a Ken Palm team ranked outside the top 200. Yeah, it has been a, a an interesting start. Um, that Xavier game has been the only real challenge Indiana's had. They passed it, um, <laughs> maybe not necessarily with flying colors, but they passed it nonetheless. And um, there were a lot of things to be optimistic about that. But yeah, outside of, of uh, Mike Woodson trying to schedule some of these games really close to kind of mimic a tournament and playing over a weekend in a tournament, that's been the only challenge Indiana's had is uh, has been that Xavier game because yeah, it's just been a a host of uh, <laughs> opponents that are just kind of woefully overmatched and Indiana's kind of had their way. But um, I mean, starting on, on Wednesday, things are really going to pick up for for Indiana, and we're going to find out real quick uh, over the next about two or three weeks how good this IU team is. Yeah, absolutely, man. I was looking at Indiana's schedule. Goodness, North Carolina, then back-to-back Big Ten games, Rutgers and Nebraska, and then Arizona and Kansas. Yikes, that is a start. And so, um, Jacob, what's been, for, for Tar Heels fans who are watching, who haven't yet seen the Hoosiers this year, uh, I'm sure everyone knows about Trace Jackson Davis, but what else is Mike Woodson's club bringing to the table? Yeah, uh, Trace has been phenomenal. Um, that Xavier game, uh, a large reason why Indiana won is simply Trace was the best player on the floor. Uh, so he's lived up to the billing. The pieces around him that have stood out, Xavier Johnson, another name uh, most might be familiar with, started the season off um, a little slow, but he also in that that Xavier game uh, showed up in a big way and has played really well since then. Yeah. Um, and then it's two freshmen, actually. It's uh, Jalen hood Shafino who some might have heard about, five-star freshman, um, highly rated prospect, comes into the starting lineup right away. Um, He's been in a bit of a shooting slump, but he's the type of player that still impacts the game in so many different ways. He can rebound. He's great at um, finding open men, and especially in transition, is great at finding the trailer and things like that. So he's still been impactful. Maybe the surprise in in a lot of ways has been Malik Renew, who has been unbelievable. Uh, he was also a very highly rated prospect, a teammate of Jalen Hood Shafino's at Montverde. Yeah. Um, he came in, he was a late commit. He was a Florida commit. And when Florida changed head coach, uh, he decommitted, ended up coming to Bloomington. He hasn't started because IUS Trace Jackson Davis. And, <laughs> uh, but he would start for just about there's a very small list of teams he would not be a starter for uh he has been phenomenal another lefty um has a host of post moves in a lot of ways it's kind of a mini trace jackson davis the two of them have played together a bit um and it's looked really good and malik's finished a lot of games he finished that xavier game how you finish that game with two freshmen on the floor on the road um so they relied on them a lot and um those two freshmen have delivered, but uh, this is a, this is a whole other challenge uh, awaiting them. But so far, those two freshmen, Xavier Johnson, Trey Jackson Davis, those have been your brightest spots so far. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the big things you you and I talked over the summer to get ready for this game a little bit, and one of the big things we talked about was being really excited for the Trace Jackson Davis Armando Baycott matchup. 
And now it's looking, I don't know if you've seen this, like that matchup might actually not happen. Uh, Armando Baycott, for, for those who, who didn't see, the Tar Heels played a four-overtime game <laughs> on Sunday uh, out at the uh, Phil Knight Invitational in Portland um, against Alabama, a tough Alabama team. Boy, howdy. If you haven't seen freshman Brandon Miller, folks, get your eyes on him. But uh, Armando Baycott um, came down, had some kind of what he described as shooting pain in his right leg. And so it's kind of up in the air if he'll go or not. In fact, the Tar Heels aren't even going back to Chapel Hill. They're just headed straight to Bloomington, um, and it, they might even be there by the time you're watching or listening to this podcast. And so something to keep an eye on is what will the Tar Heels do? Will Baycott be out there? Will they uh, deploy some type of other starting lineup? And for those who watched Hubert Davis's first year, it's kind of carbon copy this year in terms of depth. Um, where there just hasn't been much that he's utilized. And so having the ACC preseason player of the year on the bench would be a major blow, but I, I think a great opportunity for Carolina to be forced to use some of that depth. Yeah, I know from afar, it looked like a one rough weekend for, for UNC. Um, what happened? Like as somebody who, who hasn't watched a ton of UNC Go from number one. I know that um, some thought that was a generous ranking, still being number one. But to sure. go from there to to the two losses, what went wrong up there in Portland? Yeah, that, I mean, and, and I would agree. I mean, I think clearly we're seeing at least what what's going on so far. It was a generous and too much ranking, even in the games, the five games that they won before that had frankly not looked like the number one team in the nation. And it kind of just came back to bite them finally in this game. I mean, even their first game at Phil Knight Invitational against Portland was tight. Now Portland's playing very well. Um, and so credit to them. But in these two games, Iowa State is the first loss that Carolina took there. And um, they are a very physical team. And Carolina just didn't match that intensity it was kind of this classic like oh this team is you know you think about those classic Arkansas teams like that kind of vibe yeah. and Carolina just didn't match the intensity and then against Alabama Carolina had the game um, but couldn't get it in closing time it's a little bit too much one-on-one that, that the Tar Heels are playing right now and that starts with Caleb Love who here's the number this sums it all up career high 34 points against Alabama on 36 shots, Jacob, oh my. <laughs> 36 shots. In fact, he and RJ Davis, the starting backcourt combined to take 60 of Carolina's 90 shots in that game. And that's not great when they are averaging 26% from three. So there you go. It's going to be interesting. I know you mentioned that the closing time had been a bit of an issue with with them. I don't know if this game will be close. It sounds like things are not trending in the right direction for you right now, but uh, if it is, I mean, that was an issue for IU last season a lot as well, is that it was a lot of uh, get the ball into trace and defenses were very aware of that at the end of games. And it's not a fault, but trace is a very willing passer in those types of situations. And he's not going to force up a, a bad shot, even if you know, you would rather him take a bad shot than somebody else take a an open shot or something like that. So it, it came down in a lot of situations to IU not executing down the stretch. So it could be an ugly finish, but it could be an interesting finish if this game is close. <laughs> now, granted, IU against Xavier was in a similar situation and, and did execute and made enough plays down the stretch. They didn't make free throws, but they made enough other plays down the stretch to – 
to win that one. That's kind of one of those things that um, they need to take the next step on if they want to be the the Final Four team that, that they've talked about being um, kind of throughout the offseason and the preseason is uh, finishing against these really good teams. But um, I even still, like, this is still a fun matchup. I, I have always enjoyed the ACC Big Ten Challenge yeah, for, for being this a lot of unique matchups, even if uh, the opponents felt like they were the same a lot of times for for the <laughs> programs. Uh, they still brought a lot of fun matchups, and, and I'm going to miss it. it it's a, it was I a fun think. tradition each season. Yes, absolutely, and and so folks, we're going to talk about that. Let, let's get into it. Is we heard on Monday, uh, Andy Katz came out and broke the news that this will be the final, the 24th year of the ACC Big Ten matchup, the big, t- uh, the challenge, excuse me. And a lot of that, just frankly, folks, dollar signs, right? It's yeah. um, the, the Big Ten and ESPN aren't going to have the relationship going forward anymore. And so that n- kind of tears the fabric of this whole thing apart. Uh, and a- at the same time, the um, SEC and Big 12 challenge is going to go away. And so now we're going to get an ACC and SEC matchup starting next year. This same week, we typically get ACC Big 10. And, and I'm with you, Jacob, man, this is a bummer. I have looked forward to this every year. Um, for the Tar Heels, frankly, they don't look forward to playing Indiana. As, as we've <laughs> talked about, uh, Indiana is three and one against North Carolina in the ACC Big Ten. This will be the fifth matchup. Now, to be fair, four of those have been in Assembly Hall, yeah. so that certainly plays into it most recently in 2016 or 2015. I always forget the it, it was, was fall of 2015, 16, the fall 16, of 2015, was, right? Yep, and uh, and that was kind of a runaway. I believe Indiana was honoring that undefeated squad that night, if I'm correct. Is that right? The 85, yeah, team? yeah, they yeah. were, yeah, it was actually, I, it was 2016, I have it pulled up, but yeah, that was a uh. The, the last two matchups, though, have been uh, runaways for, for Indiana. It's been a a fruitful matchup for Indiana the last couple times they've met. Um, and it, it's produced some some memorable wins um, for the Hoosiers. Now, you got the best of us when it mattered most recently in the tournament. So yes. I'm sure it's a relationship that you would take as well. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's been – it's not been great necessarily for for Indiana. They are all time um, eight and thirteen. But I mean, something we talked about is just the nature of these two conferences and how competitive they typically are. Um, you, I mean, nobody's record is particularly great in this. Yep. It, Duke's is, but outside of that, um, really everybody else is right around 10 wins at most or uh, eight to 10 wins in in a lot of competitive games. And I think that's what I enjoyed most about this is that it always felt like a competitive game last season. I, you had a wild game against Syracuse. It went two overtimes. Mm. Um, They've had some, some memorable wins, some frustrating losses, but I think that's, what's made it um, fun is just the competitive nature. And a lot of times getting to, to match up against, some really good teams. I mean, last season Syracuse wasn't ranked when IU played them, but before that, uh, they had played six straight games against ranked teams in the challenge. So it's produced some quality competition for the two programs, and that alone is going to be hard to face or hard to replace because yeah. um, non-conference schedules are 
are Fill difficult and, yep. and it's not always not everybody's not always volunteering to play these types of games so it, their hands were kind of forced at times to play these games and and i think that's uh, a good thing for the programs very much yeah, yeah. It, it it's something i want to i wanted to see i don't know if i mean i don't think the big 10 can replace it with with anyone at that level so i'm not sure that they'll really do anything they've had the gavit games with Big East. Big East, I don't, I don't know if they're going to expand that or try to redo something with that, but yeah, because it's not the full conferences, right? It was no, just like not. this year it was like seven games or something like that. So love to see that expanded. It'd be funny if uh, the the Big Ten matched up with the Pac-12, and then you get USC <laughs> and UCLA keep participating. I don't think relationships are too great with those two <laughs> conferences right now. So I kind of thought of that. I was like, well, Big Ten, Big Twelve is kind of boring. And I was like. That actually might be our only option because I don't think the Pac-12 is jumping at the gun to to bring USC and UCLA back into their gyms. That's right. Now, uh, Jacob, in, in addition to the men and, and the crazy matchup we're going to get to see, we have a top six matchup between the Carolina women and Indiana women with the Hoosiers currently ranked fifth, the Tar Heels ranked sixth, coming off of having just won the Phil Knight Invitational themselves on the women's side of things, including a 17-point comeback against then-fifth-ranked Iowa State. Uh, both these teams come in undefeated. In some ways, this is a, a more really interesting and uh, high-level matchup than even the men. Uh, what what have the Hoosier ladies been doing well so far this year? Well, uh, I mean, the caveat is that Indiana lost our, probably its best player, Grace Berger, this weekend some of you may have seen the kind of fiasco that went on in in las vegas on the women's side in the las vegas i think it was called the las vegas invitational uh an absolute mess uh it was basically i saw probably the most apt description was it was the fire festival of, of women's <laughs> basketball uh which yeah it was the more you read into it the worse it was it involved directors telling the tournament directors telling the programs to uh, bring towels down from their room because they weren't going to provide any and things like that. So it was really bad, but amidst all that as well, Grace Berger went down with a knee injury that at the time looked really serious. She's an all American, all big 10 caliber player She's day-to-day. She's going to be out indefinitely. Um, she's not going to play on Thursday. They're, it was very vague, the yeah. the diagnosis they gave, which they've done in the past. Um, so she won't be playing, but uh, there's still a lot of depth, and that's been one of the biggest things that's helped this Indiana team. Last season, they did not have depth. This season, they brought in a couple transfers, had a, a pretty strong recruiting class, and they have Mackenzie Holmes, who is also an All-American level talent, who um, is averaging 20 points per game, seven and a half rebounds. Um, she she picked up the slack over the weekend when Grace went down and played phenomenal. She's shooting 76% from the field. <laughs> um, yeah, she has been unbelievable this season. And so she's absolutely going to... Um, shoulder more the the load. This happened last season just in reverse. Mackenzie Holmes went out with a knee injury, and Grace picked up um, the extra load. And it, I would imagine it's going to just be reversed, and that Mackenzie Holmes is going to pick up that load. Sarah Scalia was a transfer from Minnesota that has played really well. 
Uh, and then you have some some freshmen. Yarden Garzon um, is the third leading scorer who came out of nowhere. She's a freshman from Israel that um, was this kind of unheralded recruit that has really impressed. So they have depth. They have five people averaging double figures, though one of those was Grace, and that's what they've really relied upon. Um, they have a road win over Tennessee, which Tennessee is – slipped up this year and not quite what we thought they once were, but still winning in Knoxville is impressive. And um, they, they have that as kind of their gem right now on the schedule in terms of wins, but this one would certainly be bigger uh, over UNC who had a, it sounds like had a much better weekend (laughs) up in the uh, Northwest than the men's side did. That's right. They absolutely did for, for the women, there were only two games, but they beat 18th ranked Oregon and fifth ranked, Iowa State. For people who are unfamiliar with the Tar Heels, the big name to know, the star, the NIL darling is Deja Kelly. She's averaging 17.8 points per game. Uh, but the kind of similarly, it's a, it's a balanced attack, and it has to be for the Tar Heels. They're a bit undersized, and so they have four players averaging at least 13 points. Um, it's a very experienced team. They bring back four of their five starters and, and frankly, five of their top six from last year, the, the one who's moved into the starting lineup, Eva Hodgson, basically played starters minutes last year. And so, man, this is a, a resilient and experienced Carolina team. As I said, um, I mean, they're coming off of um, a 17-point comeback against the number five team in the country. And you don't just happen uh, into that. And so, uh, I mean, the starting lineup is a redshirt senior and four juniors. Um, who've been playing together now for a while. And so, um, in fact, Carolina only – so rarely see this. Carolina brought in one freshman this uh, season, and, and everything else is pretty much intact. And her name's Paulina Paris, uh, a great guard who's going to work into things really well. But, um, yeah, outside of Deja Kelly and Eva Hodgson, some of the other names to know are Kennedy Todd Williams – who is just a dynamic kind of do-it-all playmaker that's really come into her own on the offensive end now. And so she and Deja Kelly really make up a, a big dynamic playmaking group. Alyssa Utsby, um, who represented America this year, this summer in the three-on-three games, and uh, has used that experience to really kind of catapult herself this year as well. That's interesting because Indiana was in a, a very similar boat the last couple seasons in that they had the exact same starting five for two seasons running. And so they they didn't bring in anybody for a while, and they had a very veteran group. Three of those players graduated uh, last season, and like I said, they turned to the transfer portal. They turned to um, the recruiting trail and, and brought in a number of players. It it's, could be an interesting matchup because Indiana is a pretty guard-heavy team. And just kind of looking at, at the roster, it seems like UNC is also – a guard heavy team. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. yeah. So it could be an interesting matchup in that regard it, to see, could be a lot of small ball being played uh, on Which Thursday. Which would be fun, and, man. That's a fun game. Yeah. And an up and down game with hopefully a lot of scoring. I use Ben, a, a team that can, can really put the points up this season, which is not something last season, the last two seasons, their identity was defense this season. They can, they can really put the points up there. So um, it'll be interesting to see, this game turns into a, a bit of a track meet and an up and down <laughs> game because it seems like two 
two rosters and two rotations that could be set up for that type of contest. Yeah, man, should be a lot of fun. Both of these games inside Assembly Hall, the men on Wednesday night, 9.15 Eastern on ESPN, and then the women follow on Thursday night, 6 p.m. on the Big Ten Network. As for the challenge itself, the, uh, as we're recording this, it's uh, the ACC is up 1-0. Virginia Tech knocked off Minnesota to kick things off. And currently, Pittsburgh is up on Northwestern late in the first half. ACC could start off 2-0, but then it's going to be a bloodbath on Tuesday <laughs> and Wednesday night. And we very well expect the Big Ten to pull out the final challenge, making it four in a row to end it off. Folks, for my man Jacob Rude, the host of Locked on Hoosiers, I'm Isaac Shade, the host of Locked on Tar Heels. Thanks so much for joining us for this crossover episode. Well, that's it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. My thanks to Jacob Rude, our guy from Locked on Hoosiers, for joining us, helping us get prepared for what Indiana men and women will be bringing to the table. Coming up on tomorrow's show, Coach Pat Kilby and I are going to get you ready for it from specifically the the Tar Heels point of view. But we're also going to look back at some more stuff from Portland, some of his takeaways as a coach, what he's seeing uh, that the, the untrained basketball eye might not Thanks so much for making our show your first listen. For your second listen, check out Locked On Sports today. It's the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and of course, the take of the day. It's available on Odyssey YouTube and anywhere else you get podcasts. If you would, please don't forget to subscribe, smash the like button, and leave some comments on this episode. Friends, it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. Better days are ahead for the basketball team, hopefully starting tomorrow night in Bloomington, Indiana. Hey, and until then, until tomorrow, peace.